You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Come on, I'm so excited to be here today. As Pastor Josh said, uh, my name is Carson. This is my wife, Stacy Kay. She's amazing. She's the best thing out of West Texas. I literally took the best thing well, out of the whole state of Texas. It was great, and now it's eh, because I took her out of it. But we have the high honor and privilege of being the family, youth, and young adult pastors here, and we get to hang out with some of the most amazing people on the face of the planet. Some of them are your kids, ages six months to just about sixth grade. Some of them are college-age students and young professionals all through the city, and we're looking and excited to start youth ministry here at Banner Church. But hey, I have the best job in the whole wide world. When you walked in today, you saw a couple um, pieces of art on the wall, just here on this wall, and those are dream pages that our Cactus Kids have been doing every single week. So we've been, they've been going through the same series. If you didn't know, downstairs and in these rooms, the children's ministry is going through this same Dreamer series. They're hearing just about the same message you're hearing. So they are being stirred on the inside to dream the God dreams that God is wanting to birth in them. So every week we give them an opportunity, hey, what do you, what's God dreaming in you today? What's God dreaming in you this week? And they have created these amazing art pieces and, and these pages, and they write out their dreams. So on your way out, you can, you can take a look at them. They're right there in the lobby. And I've loved getting to do that and having them just dream. But if I'm going to be real, I've had to kind of be a bad guy. Well, I haven't been the bad guy yet. I just can't do it because there are some dreams that, man, they're just going to get crushed. Like, there's a dream where a young man wrote, he's like, I want, my dream is to have ice cream every day of my life for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That is my dream. And it's like, uh, well, you'll find out. You'll find out the detriments of eating ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. But I just, I can't crush the dream yet, right? I, I just can't do it. Like, you know what? You should believe for that. If you want ice cream for every meal, you know, maybe, you know, just God will. You know, won't he do it? Won't he do it? Probably not, but they'll find out. You know, I don't have to be that pastor that day. Some really pertinent information according to the sermon today is that this month I celebrated a birthday. Um, yes, it's really important, really pertinent. Thank you so much. I turned a quarter of a century. Uh, that's 25 years old. Um, I plan to live to be 107 because then that will be 2100. So I'm, this is really big for me. I'm a quarter of the way done. And it's, it's big. And I'm realizing in this birthday, man, I'm, I'm growing up a little bit. I mean, I'm married. I've been married for almost two years. I'm getting some life experience under my belt. And what I'm learning and what so reminded me of, of these um, art boards outside was that in my lifetime, I've had a couple dreams in, in a period of time that I was so passionate about that I could have been like, yes, this is me. This is my life. Ice cream every single day. But somewhere along the way, those dreams kind of got killed or crushed, and I'm not so, like, into them anymore. So, for instance, when I was younger, I had a dream of being in the NBA, but then I realized that I'm white, and, you know, that dream just wasn't going to work out. I also had a dream of becoming a, a hip-hop artist, a rapper. My rap name is Grilled Cheesy, but, again, found out I was white. Um, so that dream, again, was squandered and, and didn't, you know, make its way um, you know, it didn't come to be. But there's always still time. You never know. But have you ever been so passionate about something and, and you've just, for some reason, like, 
fell out of passion for it. Or maybe you had a dream, but then for some reason that dream kind of got killed. Like there was one time in my life, and a lot of times this happens, whether you just live long enough or, or more often than not, sometimes we experience someone kind of comes along and kills our dream. So for instance, there was a time back in ministry school when I was in our cafeteria and I was drinking just a glass of milk, used to love milk. Any milk lovers in the house today? 2%, 1%, who, whole? Well, yeah, some gluten freaks in the house, am I right? Anyways, I was drinking milk, and my friend, Tommy, Thomas Ashleman, a.k.a. Tommy Two Clarks, told me, how can you drink that? And I was like, what do you mean? It's milk, you know, strong bones, you know. Got milk, Tommy? And he's like, yeah, I mean, milk's pretty disgusting because, um, you know, at the dairies, like the cows, they'll get sores on their udders from the machine, and it creates infection, and there's pus, and then the pus gets into the milk. And, like, they say they can sterilize it out, but, like, you never really know. And I'm like, uh, th- thanks. And so I'm someone who, when I hear that tidbit of information, I can never get it out of my mind. So every time I drink milk, I'm like, this could be cow pus all in this milk. And so that dream was crushed, like it may be for some of you today. But he just, it's like, why did you have to tell me that? You know, like, why, why, why'd you have to tell me the facts? I was okay. Or like when you find out how hot dogs are made, and you're like, uh, you're like, I'm not sure. Do I love hot dogs or, or is that going to turn me away? But something came along and it crushed my dream. A lot of dreams that get crushed, and another really pertinent tidbit of information I want to tell you guys, is I recently became a NFL fan. This year I picked a team, and now I'm a fan. Are there any NFL fans in the house this morning? Go ahead and shout your team out at me. Go ahead and shout the team. The Vikings, I heard that one. Okay, the Portland Sea Dogs? No, they're not a real team. But yeah, I became a NFL fan this year. I'm a first-time fan, and it's been really great. I'm a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. That's who I'm a fan of, okay? And I picked the Chiefs as the team I'm going to be a fan of for really deep and amazing reasons. Number one, their quarterback, Pat Mahomes, he's from East Texas, which is where I'm from. And then he played college football in West Texas, where my wife's from. So that makes me and Pat basically brothers. And what type of brother would I be if I did not support him and the team he's a part of? And so I'm a Chiefs fan. And to be honest, it has been a really great season to be a Chiefs fan. Patrick Mahomes is breaking records. He's throwing uh, in his first three games, he threw 16 touchdown passes. That's more than any quarterback ever. My brother is breaking records, and I could not be more happy for him. However, I'm coming up against, and this is a first-time thing for me, being a first-time fan. I love the Chiefs. A bunch of amazing people got me Chiefs gear for my birthday. Again, I'm still accepting gifts. It is still October. Anyways, I got a lot of amazing Chiefs gear, and it made me so happy to be a Chiefs fan until last Sunday, we suffered our very first loss against the dirty, rotten, no-good scoundrels, the New England Patriots. Yeah, we lost our very first game. It was only by three. It was close, but Pat, he just couldn't get together. The team couldn't, you know, make it happen. And I found something out, and maybe you can relate. Losing is not as much fun as winning, Like, I really enjoyed the first four games when we were just crushing teams and destroying them and breaking records. But this fifth game when we lost, I'm just, it kind of took all the fun out for me, right? And I see that in life sometimes we have this dream or we have this idea or we have this thing that we think and believe God has called us to it. And it's fun when it's going good, but when we face some pushback or when we face a little bit of defeat, it's it's not quite as fun as it was winning. But I will have you know, that I have retained my Chiefs fandom, and I'm ready to believe again, 
Uh, and you're saying, Carson, my, my goodness, it was one loss. I mean, some people have got to be Bills fans. My boy Bijan, literally all they do is lose, okay? So I know you're thinking, like, get over it. But, guys, I'm a first-time fan. This is my first time dreaming the dream of being a fan. But I'm going to believe again and today that uh, the Chiefs are going to destroy the Bengals at 520 p.m. And, you know, we're going to be back on the train. We're going to the Super Bowl all the way. Who's with me? Let's do it. Come on. And so speaking of Sunday, can we just give Pastor Josh another amazing shout-out for just bringing such fire and gold through this Dreamer series? Come on. He's been bringing such gold to us and insight about awakening the dreamer, igniting the dream, and believing to dream again. But today I want to talk to you a message I've titled, Perverting the Promise. And what I mean by that and what we want to talk about, because Pastor Josh has given us such insight to how to dream and ignite the dream and, and, and get the dream. What is it? But today I want to talk about the dream killers in our life and how we avoid those dream killers. So, you know, I gave that intro a couple of my dreams that have come and went. And maybe when I say dream killers, I think you know who I'm talking about. You know, there's those people in your life that are hateful and sinful and mean, and they just want to see your dream die. Like you tell them your dream, and they're like, Ugh, yeah, right. Or they don't even, like, water it so it dries up, or they let your dream starve um, because of malnutrition and just shrivels up. And they're just those dream killers. And if, and if life and if the world did not have them, it would just be a better place. And so as I'm talking about these dream killers, I'm sure to some of you, some people come to mind. But what I want to submit to you today and what I want to dive in deeper to in our time today is that the biggest dream killer you will encounter in your life is yourself. That no one has the power to kill the dream that God has birthed on the inside of you like you. And so today, I'm, I believe that God has given me a message and a word, and we are going to dive into what his scriptures say about defending the dream and not becoming our own dream killer. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your spirit that is active and moving. We pray, Lord, that you would come and search our hearts today. Come and reveal to us what you want to say what you want to show us. We only care about you. So be with everyone. Be with me today as I share this message. In Jesus' name I pray. And the whole church said, amen. Amen. So we've been in our Dreamer series, and again, you know this, we've been reading in the book of Genesis. Why don't you get your Bible out? Put your Bible in the air like you just do care. Hello. Come on. You know, Get it on your screen. It'll be, we'll get some screen time right here. Hey, if you need a Bible, you want a physical Bible, but you don't have one today, go and shoot up a hand, and we will get you one. Some of our usher team will come and deliver one. So if you want a physical Bible, just go and lift your hand. But like I said, we've got it on the screen. But I want to we're going to check in with our boy Joseph. So flashback, um, basically what we know with Joseph uh, you know, he, he's a young man. He's got 11 brothers. He's part of a big fam. He's got the freshest coat in the game. His drip is unreal. The swag is off the chain. He's his daddy's favorite, but his brothers, they hate him. So he goes to check on his brothers, and they say, Joseph, we're going to go uh, base jumping. You're going to go first. We're not going to give you a rope or a parachute. Get down to the bottom of the pit. And so they make him lie down in the pit. He's locked in the pit. He's like, oh, let's leave this boy for dead. But then this other brother said, you know what? Why don't we flip him? Why don't we get some return on our investment? Let's get some cash for him. So they decide to sell Joseph all because he had a dream. So let's pick up with him in Genesis 39. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. So he gets picked up. He gets sold. And this is what is next happening in Joseph's life. 
It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of this Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to him care over everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph, if we're going to be real, is doing pretty well for being thrown in a pit, betrayed and sold by his brothers. I mean, he's finding some success at his job. Let's talk about promotion quickly. It says that things were blessed because Joseph was there. And Potiphar saw that, and he promoted him. And so it's kind of an upside to the situation. Like, yes, I was betrayed by my brothers, but look at all the success I'm finding. But to be honest, it's, it's really not surprising that Joseph was finding so much success. It's not surprising because he was so committed to the things of God and the blessing and the favor of God was on his life. I want to Marty McFly to two weeks ago, Genesis 37, Pastor Josh, the opening message, shared on this, and I just love, there's a line in it I love. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it, but it's so good. I think it's on the screen. But it says, Genesis 37, 19 through 20, here comes that dreamer, say dreamer, Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And I so love this line because what I see in it is his brothers are calling him this dreamer. Oh, here comes this dreamer. And they totally meant it as an insult. Like, oh, you're so passionate about your dream. Here comes this dreamer coming through. Like if I was so passionate about my rap dream, but you guys are like, bro, you're white. It's never going to happen. Oh, here comes this rapper. Here comes grilled cheesy. (laughs) Give me a break. But they called him dreamer. And what they meant as an insult only confirms the presence and the purpose and the power of God on the inside of him. If we're going to be real this morning, are, are, do people know how serious you are about your dream that they'll make fun of you for it? If your dream is just so uh, secret or so passive that nobody would even know, like, oh, that's, that's your dream? Oh, I, I had no clue. That challenges me. When I walk into a room, do people say, oh, here comes that dreamer. Here comes that believer. Here comes that pastor. Here comes the thing that God had birthed on the inside of you. And so Joseph, what it shows us is he is so committed to being a dreamer. He's so committed to the thing that God had prepared and destined for him. So much so that he never relented or requented or took back his dream. Not even when his brothers were being rude to him. I mean, some of us will back out there. People just start not inviting you to stuff. You're like, I was just joking. Like, that's not really my dream. But he did not requint. He didn't take back his dream when they threw him in a pit. I don't know about you. I'm down at the bottom. I see nobody else is coming in with me. I'm like, guys, I was just joking. Like, I don't really want to rule over you. Like, it was, it was just a joke. Like, like, bring me back up. Give me my coat. We can go home. 
No, he stayed committed. Not even when he was being sold into slavery did Joseph say, you know, God, I was like, I'm joking. We don't have to make this transaction happen. Like, I'm cool. Like, I, I won't rule over you. The dream is whatever. Please just take me home. Don't sell me. No, in every situation he was going through, he did not relent. He stayed committed to his dream. And I share that to say it's not surprising that he was finding success in his next season. Because blessings are always before the obedient, and favor will always follow the faithful. And what I mean by that is I used to have this concept of the blessing of God that it was all based on work and reward. If I behave good, God will make good things happen to me. But what we understand and what we see in Scripture is that God is a good father who wants to give good gifts. So when you walk in obedience, when you stay committed to the thing that God had called you to do, you automatically walk into the things that he had prepared for you all along. Blessings are always just before the obedient. They are there, just like in Joseph's life, and favor will always follow the faithful, and what the favor is, and and if you want to have more discussions and convo, Pastor Josh's schedule is so free this week. You know, any issues you have with my sermon, just get on his calendar and talk to him, but what I'm saying is the favor of God that's on your life, when you remain faithful to the things that God has for you, he will open up doors, opportunity, and a lifestyle that no man could ever do and no man could ever shut. How many of you are thankful today that you've got a father in heaven who wants to bless you? Come on, put your hands together. Can we give God some glory that his blessing is on us, his favor is for us? So Joseph's having a great week. You know, he's having a lot of success. But if we're going to be real, his situation is still a little one-sided because having influence and success and responsibilities as a slave kind of doesn't really mean so much when you're still a slave. You know what I mean? It's like if you're captain of bench affairs, it's like I am the captain of what's going on on the bench. But it's like, yo, you're still on the bench. Like you're not even, whoa, the favor. You know, you're not even in the game. So to be real, Joseph has had so many setbacks, and he, but he found favor, but he's still in a pretty unfair situation. Especially, say especially, when you take a look in the chapter previous of 39, chapter 38, what's going on with the rest of Joseph's family? And so I'm going to briefly run through Genesis 38. It's kind of weird in its placement. I know you guys have been reading along in this series with us, going through the book of Genesis and reading Joseph. I know you have, so you're like, oh, of course, this, this chapter is really weird. I was thinking that when I was reading it nine times this week. But chapter 38 is super weird because it's the story of Judah, and basically what happens to Judah is he sells his brother, and he's like, now what do I want to do? Huh, I'll get married. So he decides to get married. He takes a wife way too young. He marries a Canaanite woman, so someone he normally wouldn't get married to, kind of trashy. And the idea and the dream and the goal within Judah and every man in this time, it's legacy. It's lineage. It's how can I pass on who I am and the legacy that I want to have. So that's the dream, and that's the goal, and you do that by having kids. So he uh, you know, marries his wife, and they have three sons. Woo, things are looking good. That's three different options. Look how far that legacy or that lineage can go. So his first son marries this lady named Tamar. Say Tamar. Sounds like Kmart, but it's not. So he marries Tamar, and what happens is God struck down his first son because of how wicked he was. So Tamar marries the first son, first son dies. No worries, Tamar, we'll just have you marry the second son here, and we'll keep the lineage going. Tamar marries the second son, and guess what? The son dies. 
oh my gosh, Tamar is cursed. That's what Judah is thinking. And so in Judah's mind, man, this girl keeps killing on my sons. But because of the tradition, the heritage, he's like, I'll give you my third son once he's old enough. Why don't you go back to your daddy's house, go live in there, and when this my third kid is old enough, I'll send for you. And so matters are kind of bad for Judah because both of his sons die. He's only got one son left. But then his, uh, his wife then dies as well. So in his mind, he's like, I'm all alone now. I've got one son. If I give him to Tamar like I said I should, he may die, and then I'll literally be alone. And so Judah is going through so much pain in his life, and he's going through so much heartache, and some real stuff has happened to him. He's had his wife die. He's had his children die, and there's an authentic and real pain. And so what does he do? He compromises on his sexual purity and integrity, and he goes into the town, and he sleeps with a prostitute. And because he has this pain, and the only thing he does wrong is he goes to the wrong person to soothe it. And he goes and he sleeps with this prostitute. But what he does not know is that that prostitute, ready for this, is Tamar in disguise. Because she knew what he had promised to her, an inheritance and a lineage and children. So she sleeps with him in disguise. And so what this does is it creates this scandal where Judah is caught in shame. He went to the wrong person to soothe his pain, and now he is covered with shame and embarrassment. What's even crazy, and I know you read this, but Judah even says, because they tell Tamar is pregnant, and he's like, put her to death because she's been sleeping around. Bro, you were about to put to death your child because of the shame and embarrassment and the secrecy you were walking in. But here's the crazy part. This is why this is unfair. We see that uh, Tamar go ahead, goes ahead and has these twins, and these twins are then counted in the lineage of Christ. And when you read ahead, which I know you're going to do, in Genesis 49, Jacob, Israel, gives Judah the scepter blessing. He gives him a blessing that your inheritance and your lineage will be the one that brings forth the Messiah. So to recap, Judah sells his brother, gets married, rips off Tamar, sleeps around, almost kills his children, yet still comes out with the W because he will be counted in the lineage of Christ. His is the one. And so we, you can assume that these scriptures are next to each other to show how insane that Judah's life is going. That he's, he's doing these horrible things yet coming out on top. And then we read the story of Joseph, okay? So we're going to jump back in with Joseph. Genesis 39, 6 through 20. It should be on the screens. Picking up with verse 6, so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, just like someone else I know. Anyways, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed and be with her. And one day he went out to the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When, he saw, when she saw that he had left his cloak 
in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us, has come to make sport of me. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Jumping down to verse 19, when his master heard the story, his wife told him, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph has experienced some betrayal. He's experienced some heartbreak. He's been sold into slavery. He's found some success, but he's had a tough life. I know he doesn't know this, but we know why are things going great for his brother, yet not for him? If anyone deserves a break, it's Joseph. He's been so faithful. He's been walking in obedience. He's been doing everything he's been supposed to be doing. Like, doesn't he kind of deserve it? Like, she came on to him. It wasn't like he was like, man, this would be great. She came on to him, and she was coming after him. Like, shouldn't he, like, shouldn't he go with it? But he's faced with this test, and it's not only just a test of what he would do in that moment. Should I sleep with Potiphar's wife, or should I not? It was a test of his character. And just like his brother was faced with the test, Joseph knew this was the test of who will, will I go to to soothe my pain. That there is heartbreak and there is pain in my life, but who will I go to to relieve it? Will I go to this woman who's coming on to me and I've been through so much so I kind of deserve it? Or will I go to the Lord? And to be honest, I don't think we're too different than Joseph ourselves. We, we go through pain. We go through struggle. We've tried to stay faithful to the dream that God's birthed inside of us, but we've come up against setbacks. We've come up against pits. We've come, been sold into slavery metaphorically. We've felt the betrayal of people we called our brothers. Don't we just deserve kind of a break? Don't we deserve like, you know, like just something? And so for Joseph, it was... It was lust. But for us, we, maybe we look for these reliefs and the soothings of our pain and sex, drugs, alcohol, social media, the wrong friend group, wrong mindset and thinking. And we go to these things to try to soothe our pain. But what we don't know and what we forget that Joseph knew full well is that compromise will always kill your dream. Joseph was faced with a compromising situation. Who will you go to soothe your pain for the detriment of your dream? But he knew that this compromise will kill my dream. He stayed so committed to the dream to this part and this time. He knew if I give in now, this is the first step to watching my dream die. Because in reality, when we read this chapter and this story, everything and everyone is trying to kill this guy's dreams, but they could not. Though they tried, they could not. The pit couldn't steal it. Bullying could not kill it. Betrayal could not kill it. Slavery could not kill his dream. Imprisonment could not kill his dream. Insecurity could not kill his dream. The, none of these things could kill it. And the same is with you today. Divorce cannot kill your dream. Debt cannot kill your dream. Pain cannot kill your dream. Betrayal cannot fill your dream. Every face, everything you face and come up against has tried to kill your dream. But listen to me today, church. It can not. The only thing, the only person that can kill your dream is you. The only true dream killer that Joseph encounters is himself. 
And it starts as a perversion of the promise. And the perversion of the promise is what will always kill the dream. And what I mean by perversion of the promise is it's close. It's like close to the promise and it's like close to the dream, but just a little different. You know, I want what God wants with with just a slight adjustment. Of course, I want the things of God. I, I want what he wants for me, but like, I mean, I deserve a break. I deserve this. Or, or God, I know you called me to do it this way, but I kind of just want it like a little different. It's the promise. It's just perverted. And God cannot look on anything that is sinful. God cannot fulfill the promise that you have chosen to pervert. And we pervert this promise all the time, and we try to circumvent the situations. That maybe God has given you this dream, but you're not sure how to do it. So like, hey, let me bring matters into my own hands, or let me, let me try to work this out for me. And again, for Joseph, it was lust, but it could be guilt or greed or anger or apathy or pain. Because of my issues, I, I get special rules. Or because of my experiences, God, I know you're going to forgive me and how I pervert the thing that you have birthed in me out of purity. But like, man, I just deserve it. So the temptation is to quit, right? Just like, you know, this is so shallow, but just like in my analogy of, man, I'm a Chiefs fan. This is awesome. I believe in the thing that God has birthed inside of me. But when I face one defeat, right, when I face one defeat, I'm not sure if I want to do this anymore. So the temptation is to quit. The temptation is to pervert the promise and back off of how faithful we're being. But I want to tell you today, church, that if you do not quit, you win. I'll say that again. If you do not quit, you win. That's the thing. If you do not quit, if you commit to just not quitting, you will win. So spoiler alert, you're like, Carson, Judah quit on his dream, yet he gets the W in the end, and Joseph gets thrown in prison. Give me a break. But what we don't know and what you'll find when you read on that God is birthing this dream on a timeline that Joseph cannot see nor we can discern. So listen to me. If you do not quit, you will win. It may seem like a defeat right now, but if you do not quit, you will win. Whatever it is, if it's your marriage, if you do not quit, you will win. If it's contending in the place of prayer for a breakthrough and a healing, if you do not quit, you will win. If it's ministering to a coworker or a friend, inviting them to church, trust me, if you do not quit, you will win. Your compliance and commitment to just show up, to faithfully be there, to continue to live out the dream that God has birthed in you, if you do not quit, you will win. Can somebody thank God for that today? Can we thank God that he has given us his spirit So again, you may be saying, Carson, I get like, that's fun to say you're 25. You haven't lived enough life as me. You don't know what it's, what it's like to come up against some real life shattering stuff. I get it. Your team lost once. Give me a break. But throughout the Bible, there's another person in the New Testament that is faced with temptation and he's faced with the opportunity to compromise and to pervert the promise I want to take a look at it. It's in Matthew 4, verses 8 through 11. And this is Jesus, right? You're like, who could it be? Yep, it's Jesus. So in this time, Jesus has just been baptized. He's been come up. The spirit descended like a dove. And the father said, man, I'm so pleased with him. 
And it said that the spirit led him into the wilderness. It was not the enemy that led him into the wilderness. The spirit had led him into the wilderness to fast and to pray for 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil comes up to him. He's like, hey, Jesus, I've got a killer opportunity for you. And we're going to be real. Jesus is going through something similar we can, you know, we can uh, relate with. He's alone. How many of you have ever felt alone before? Come on. He's been alone. He's hungry. How many of you have ever felt hungry before? In both senses of the word. And he's hungry for real food, but he's hungry for more of God. Yet he's not, we, we're not sure how he's, how he's getting it. Or, or he's in this spot where he's like, man, I was just baptized and this was crazy. And this was awesome, but now I'm here and I'm alone. He, he can relate to us. But um, Matthew 4, 8 through 11. This is the final. The enemy comes from three times. So this is the final one I want to look at. Uh, let me find Here we go. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. So what the enemy is coming to him and saying, and you may be thinking this like, the enemy is offering him the whole world, dominion, kingdom of the whole world, if he'll just worship Satan. But it's like, Satan, you're so dumb. Like, of course, but you're so dumb. Like, he was going to get that anyways. You know, he's the son of God. This is who he is. He's the king of kings, lord of lords, the prince of peace. Like, he was going to get kingdom and rule and dominion over the whole earth anyways. Like, deal or no deal, no deal. That was a bad plan. You should have offered him something he didn't already have. <laughs> Loser. But what we see in this is the enemy offers him the promise, the same thing you were going to get. You get to rule. You get, get to be the lord of the earth. But here's the perversion. When you bow down to me, you don't have to go to the cross. When you bow down to me, I won't make you die for all humanity. I'll give you the thing that God promised you. I'll just give it to you a little different. And so Jesus is faced with this temptation that you do not have to die for all humanity. That you do not have to pour out your blood. You don't have to suffer the most horrific and embarrassing death on the face of the planet to die next to two sinners that did not know about you as your people that you came to save, mock you, and curse you. You don't got to do none of that. And I'll give you what you wanted. I don't know about you. This sounds like a pretty good deal. You mean I get, I get what I wanted. I get the promise, yet I don't got to go through any pain or heartbreak. I don't know. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came to attend to him. So Jesus does not fall into this temptation and thank God. God, he did not. Because if he would have fallen into that, man, we wouldn't be here. He would not be the son of God. How many of you are thankful today that Jesus overcame temptation? Jesus went to the cross for you. He poured out all of his blood for you so that you can live with him again. It does not matter your past. It does not matter what you've done. His blood covers it all. His salvation is free and he gives it to us so freely. Man, I am thankful that I have a father in heaven who sent his son because he so loves me. And I'm thankful that the son of God was, he was given every temptation that we would ever face, yet he was without sin. It's because his grace and his mercy, we can overcome and we can hold on to the dream. So again, 
How do you not quit? How do you do it? I need some practical steps. I'm glad you asked. We're going to follow Jesus' example. So if you're taking notes, I highly, highly, highly encourage you write down these three steps. This, these are the three steps, in, a, in addition to other things, of how we avoid being our own dream killer. How we do not pervert the promise that God has called for us and to us when we're faced with tough times. Number one, following Jesus' example, it's this. Meet with the Father often. You got to meet with the Father often. Oftentimes, you know the assignment when you're frequent to meet with the teacher, right? It is crazy how many Christians say they want to complete and fulfill the things of God on their life, yet they are not meeting with him on an intimate and regular basis. How do you expect to accomplish the things, the assignments, when you're not meeting with that teacher? So it's got, you've got to meet with the Father often. And, and why we have presence nights, why we come together on Wednesday nights from 7 to about 8.30 to worship and to pray is to connect with him. It's to connect with the Father. It's to get another outpouring for the rest of this week. We want to connect with God. This is not a one-way relationship. It is a two-way. Jesus, we see in Luke 15, 16, would draw away often to lonely places, and he prayed. Y'all, we got to get real real quick. If the Son of God, who was fully God and fully man, had to draw away often to meet with his Father, how much more do we need that? Let's get real. Jesus did not have email. He did not have TV. He did not have Instagram. He was not checking his likes. He did not have, you know, just stuff going on like we do today. If he had to draw away to meet with the Father consistently and often, so much so that he said, I only do what I, I hear my Father doing. He met with him so much, he's like, I only do what I hear him doing. Guys, how much more do we need to Go away into the secret place of prayer and meet with our Father in heaven. Come on. And it looks like personal devotions, whether it's in the morning, noon, night, but it's connecting with God. If you need to put on worship music, if you need to read through scripture, but it's checking in with the Father because it reestablishes that connection and gives you strength always. Listen, in these quiet times, this is, this is for free. Do what works for you, but do what makes you work. Okay? I'm challenging you, spend time with the Father every single day, but do what works for you. Hey, I can't wake up at 6.30 a.m. because I have to be, you know, I work super late, or I, or I can't do this, I can't do that. I, it's fine. Do what works for you, whether it's in the morning, it's on your lunch break, it's at night, it's in the middle of the night, I don't care. Do what works for you, but do what will make you work. It's not like, well, I was just spiritually thinking about something. No, you got to connect with the Father. Do what makes you work. Meet with the Father often, number one. Say number two. Number two, it's this. We see by Jesus' response, he says, it is written. So number two is this, seed the word deep within you. Guys, we are caught off guard in these attacks from the enemy. We are caught off guard in our Joseph situations when Potiphar's wife comes to us because we aren't aware of the victory we have written in the word because newsflash, we do not know the word. If you knew what God says about you and the victory he claims for you within the scriptures, that you are more than conquerors, that his spirit is before you, that he will never leave you, that nothing can separate you from his love. If you knew the word, these attacks and these derailments and these compromises and the temptation to pervert the promise would not be an issue because you can respond with, no, it is written. 
It is written that I am the apple of God's eye. It is written that his thoughts for me outnumber the grains of sand so that the lie that you're trying to tell me that nobody cares for me, please, my father in heaven has more thoughts for me than the grains of sand on the earth. Give me a break. Are you trying to tell me my sin separated me, that my shame can keep God from me? Oh, you don't understand that nothing can separate me from the love of the Father. No height, no depth, no angel, no demon, nothing. Guys, if you do not know the word, you will fall victim to its attack of the enemy every single time. A couple scriptures. Joshua 1.8, this book is the, the book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do according all that is written in it. For, when, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. He says it. you will have good success if you keep this word on you. All scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. And Hebrews 4, 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into to the division of soul and spirit, of joints, of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. Guys, this is why, if you've ever been to a presence night, which we highly encourage you to come to, it's really fun, Wednesdays, 7 o'clock, in this room. If you've ever been, this is why we pray the scriptures. This is why we pray through the Psalms, we pray through the New Testament, and we have the band create a song and a chorus around it because we want the word to be seated deep down within us. I can, I'm sure if I point to any single one of you, you will have your favorite secular song memorized from top to bottom, forward to back. You could tell me every line, every beat drop, the whole thing. Doesn't matter what generation you're from. You're like, man, that was the song. But how many of you can recall upon scripture with that same urgency and fervency and commitment? Y'all, are we more committed to the things that are trying to distract us from God's word or are we more committed to God's word. You have to have the word seated deep within you. Number one, it's meet with the Father often. Number two, seed the word deep within you. And I'll invite the band up right now as we close here shortly. But number three, say number three, it is this fight to maintain personal purity. Jesus is in this fasting time, and he's consecrating himself, and he's making himself so weak on earthly and physical standards, yet it's because he wants to depend so much greater on the Lord. If you didn't understand or know what fasting is, it's not just like not eating. It's getting to the place where you can't do anything for yourself and relying solely on the Lord. And so the biggest destiny derailing compromises, they start as lapses in purity. If we're going to be real in Joseph's situation could God have continued to fulfill his dream? Yeah, I mean, God can do anything, of course. But those destiny derailing compromises that will take you out of this race and where you have to listen to that sound for all of eternity, forever, will be those lapses in purity. That's why we have to be so intentional on what we let into our mind and our soul. Whether it's the music you listen to, the videos you watch, the shows you look at, the conversations you keep, Everything we ingest is either bringing our soul and our spirit to life and nourishing it, or it's killing it. There's no options. Just like every piece of food you eat is either healthy or unhealthy. There's not anything that doesn't, there's no celery in the kingdom. 
everything we consume is either building you up or it's tearing you down. And that's why we have to be so intentional with the things we let in and to defend the personal purity because that's really what made Joseph succeed is Joseph was so committed to the thing that God was trying to do on the inside of him that he knew, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even allow this thought to sleep with Potiphar. It's why I stay in my mind. I can't even let that rattle around in there because I'm so committed to the thing that God wants to do in me. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And I love this one right here. 2 Timothy 2, 21 says, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. If we can fight for our personal purity, it poises us and it prepares us to be used for that good and amazing work. And let me tell you today, church, the work and the purpose that God has on each and every one of your lives is so good. It's so amazing. It's so phenomenal. The dream that he is birthing on the inside of each and every one of you is so good and it's life-changing. And you were put on this earth to do this when he was drafting his master plan for the universe. He thought, man, who do I need next? What will make this spinning rock even better? And he said, boom, your name came to his mind. He said, I need them because I've got such a great and amazing work. He's faithful to birth and raise those dreams to life. Now, the only question is, will we be faithful to defend it? When you know and you understand that the only thing that can kill your dream is you, will you be the one who fights to keep it alive? Will you be the one who avoids compromise? Will you be the one who refuses to pervert the promise of the Father? Because you want to see that dream come to life. You are the only one who can kill it. So we got to defend it, guys. It's so much more than just having it birthed, and it's crazy, and man, then it's there. And if we just let it die, don't let it be like these other dreams. Don't let it be like these passive you know, I've, I've got a dream to, you know, be healthier. It's not a dream, that's a goal. Man, let your dream be a dream. Let people try to mock you by your dream like they did Joseph. Oh, here comes that dreamer. Here comes that family changer. Here comes that workplace evangelist. Here comes that man and woman of God who's walking in purity. Here comes that godly marriage. Oh, they think their dream is so cool, but what they do not know and they do not understand is that God is with you. And if you're faithful to defend the dream, you'll see it come to life. Would you bow your heads with me? Today, I wanna to do two things. The first is this. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never said yes to the sacrifice that he made on the cross for you, so that you could have all of your sins forgiven and live with him in heaven forever, for all eternity. If you've never accepted the free gift of salvation today, I wanna to open that up to you. Again, with every head bowed and eyes closed, this isn't to embarrass you. This is just to know who we get to celebrate, who we get to celebrate with that you're walking into the kingdom. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I wanna live this life. I want God to birth a dream in me. I've gone so many years and I just felt hopeless. I felt, felt like there's pain. I don't, man, a dream would be nice to have. 
God wants to birth that in you today and welcome you into his kingdom. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I want to sign up. I want to do this Jesus thing. Will you just slip your hand up right now? Again, every head bowed, every eyes closed. Amen. 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 His salvation is so free and so beautiful. I love that. The second thing I want to do is this. If you're here today and you're ready to go on the offensive and you're ready to defend the dream that God has placed on the inside of you, if you're ready to encounter the Spirit of God and you're ready to stop compromising and you're ready to stop perverting the promise of God that's on your life, but you want to defend the dream that God has birthed inside of you, even to a greater measure. Maybe you're there and you're like, of course I do but you want to do it to a greater measure. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite all of you to stand right now so you can go ahead and stand up. And the band is going to lead us in a final song, Here is in Heaven. But if you're here today and you're like, man, I just need to, I, I want to defend that dream. We're going to open up the altar and the altar's open. And what I pray and what I encourage you to do is get before God, have a moment and worship him. Because when we worship God, it sets the perspective. It establishes who is worshiping and who is being worshiped. It sets who is in control and whose law you want to come, whose will you want to be done, not ours, but his. So as I'm just going to say a closing prayer. And we're going to open up the altar, and the band is going to play and minister. And at some point, the, the prayer team is going to come and lay hands on you. But today, let's get a passion to defend the dream. Let's get a passion to hold to the things of God. Let's get a passion to no longer abort the dreams that God's birthing on the inside of us when we kill our own dreams. So Jesus, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for these mighty men and women of God. We pray and we declare today, God, would you stir up passion for the dreamer? Would you stir up the spirit of God like never before? And would you encounter their hearts that Jesus today, we would experience you and we would be stirred to defend the dream that you have placed on us. That God, we know that there is a beautiful and wonderful and amazing work that you're birthing and we do not want to see it die, but we want to see it grow. Just come and have your way. In Jesus' name, altar's open.